You're listening to SM Media, the number one place for exclusive content. everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Be Strong, Be Positive podcast right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPide, delighted to be your host as always. Delighted to be joined by a very special guest. I'm quite buzzing about the fact that you're on. Tom Urey, legend of Scottish comedy, legend, musician, brilliant to Tom Urey on. Thanks very much for joining me, it's a pleasure. Legend just makes me sound old, mate. <laughs> legend, you're like, oh, no, I'm a legend now, that means I'm the lead. You're a legend, no, it's, you're part of some of the most famous shows and some of the best sketches in Scottish. No, I can't believe my luck sometimes. It's just like almost as if I just turn up at their door and go, go and let me be in your thing. And they're like, <laughs> I, all right. And then I pop in and do a two minutes and then that's me. <laughs> Brilliant. How's things been, obviously, since we've been into lockdown? How have you been finding it? It's rough. It's very rough. Um, everybody's finding it rough. So, um, I live on my own, so it's kind of been me and, well, I've got two cats, so I've got to know them a bit better. I've got a bit more polite to them. I used to shout, beat it, and stuff, and I'm like, excuse me, and I wait till they've gone, and then I say, thank you very much. <laughs> um, no, I'm okay, you know, it's, it's, I've got, I've got no choice. None of us have got any choice, really, yeah. than just kind of try and get through it. And, and when I think about my dad, uh, my dad lived through World War Two. And he used to tell stories about, I mean, that lasted six years. And they were, they had to spend every night worrying that their house was going to get bombed. And yeah. they'd have to get up out of their beds in the middle of the night and go out and hide in a bunker in the garden. And, and mm-hmm. you know, all I've got to do is watch Tiger King and, and <laughs> play Luigi's Mansion. You know, it's, it's not, I mean, I feel for, I mean, I kind of, I'm sort of shielding. Mm-hmm. Um, from a kind of almost from a kind of mental health point of view it's, it's a bizarre thing to say but but I, I really struggle with anxiety more than anything else and uh, what I've found is if I've been outside and I've had contact with somebody for the next fortnight my anxiety's up to high dough you know yeah. so and I thought you know what I'm, I'm going to just try and stay in the house um, until I get the vaccine which, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not, I'm over 50, so it's going to be May for the first one. But I thought, well, you know, I've been, it's been a year of, of this. I can do another two months and then yeah. think about how things might change. But at the moment, um, I, I've, I've not gone half my head yet. Uh, I, I, I got quite ill last summer mentally um, and that was a bit of a worry but uh, it's okay I'm just having to take it a day at a time Scott mm-hmm. Yeah. and uh, l- l- I think we're all now getting to the stage where we are so fed up with this all yeah, of the whole definitely. thing and um, but at the same time you're like well we've done it this far we might as well keep going until uh and, until we get reach the finishing post, which is yeah. there. We keep seeing it moving further away, but we're getting closer to it mm-hmm. than where we are. Yeah. And how do you how are you kind of keeping busy? Like what are you you said mentioned about kind of watching Tiger King and things like that. What what do you do to keep oh, occupied? I, I do something every day. I create something every day. So I get up um, and I decide to record a song. So I'm, yeah, I, I go to my, my spare room's kind of like, I say studio, but it's actually like the trash compactor in Star Wars. <laughs> in the corner <laughs> and guitars everywhere. So I go in there and I start a song and I, and I record the song. It usually takes me about three or four hours to record the song. How much these? And uh, then I make a video and then I post it on Facebook. And if I've done that in a day, I feel as if I've done a day's work. Mm-hmm. So um, I, it keeps me busy. It keeps my mind occupied. It keeps me uh, keeps me from feeling like a waste of space. And what's like, as you say, like coping strategies as well. Let's see if you're having like a bad day. As I'm sure like all of us have had at some point during this. Like, what do you kind of find to to keep to kind of cope and take yourself like out of the situation and give yourself like, kind of a break mainly? 
you need to you need to find out what is good for you for, for that you know so you need to be good to yourself so my if i if i'm having a bad day first of all i'll make myself talk to somebody i'll make yeah. myself phone a pal or i'll jump on facebook and have a chat um and then if if i if I'm feeling jumpy and overwhelmed and all that kind of stuff, I just put on music or watch the telly and not give my hard, myself a hard time about mm -hmm. it. I've got a Nintendo Switch that I got last year and it's been a lifesaver because just for escapism. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I mean, it's like I'm 12. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it, but uh, I, I've used that so much just to, 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 to calm down. And that's been actually been a great coping method. Some games are more stressful than others. You know, Mario Kart isn't... Uh, you know, my, if I, Luigi's Mansion's good because he just wanders about hoovering. <laughs> this goes about hoovering a big house and you're like, oh, is that wee plumber hoovering? That's oh, fine, I'll do that for four hours. And so, see, I, it's that, yeah. And see, obviously, as well, you're looking brilliant, but how, how do you feel physically? Shite. Do you? Physically shite, because I, I, I just feel as if I've got no leg muscles or anything because I've not been out or up and down the stairs. So, uh I mean, I love going to the gym and doing weights and stuff, but that's yeah. all I've stopped. I've got crappy weights from Argos here, but they can sit in the corner gathering dust. And um, it's, it's, I, I, I'm desperate to get back out there, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. See, obviously, when you were growing up, what was, your, what was your school days like? We've touched up over the first kind of couple of episodes, we've touched on the, the guests about how what their school days were like. How did you find school? Uh, I loved primary school. Um, it was it was fun, and I did well, and uh, I had good pals. But secondary school just got a little bit rough. You know, uh, there was there was bullies. It was never it was never the kind of bullies you would imagine. It was always kind of sneaky people, and uh, it was never anybody I could name now. Um, yeah, it was just a bit. Kind of nasty, and I was a fat guy, so easy target. Um, and I just, I just got myself lost in music. I just played the piano and and just did what I do now, and 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 distract myself from it and escape into a different world. Brilliant. See, obviously, like when you were leaving school, what, did you have a plan leaving school of what you wanted to do? No, no, <laughs> not, not in the slightest. I mean, I left after sixty, and I had. Um, I'd kind of got academically bad in secondary school. I failed a lot of my exams and I sort of didn't have any... I, all I wanted to do was music. Mm -hmm. And um, there was no kind of outlet for music or drama in Paisley at the time. They've now got a great youth theatre, they've now got Pace, they've got a few actually, they've got Starlight, they've got a lot of great stuff for kids now, but there wasn't anything when I, when I was leaving school. So I kind of kicked about for a year DJing and, and getting steaming and, and smoking and, and just having a, you know, been a bit of a bad boy for, for about a year. And then I got, I heard about, through the social security actually, I heard about a rock music college in Perth. Right. And uh, I auditioned for that and got in and that changed my life completely because I went up there for two years. Did well, got on great, learned so much, made so many new pals that are still in my life today. And that's set me off on a career. It set me off on a career as a musician. And through that, I ended up acting by accident. How did acting come about? Like I've always wondered that because obviously musician, music's your passion, but how did acting come about? It's a bizarre accident. Um, <laughs> how did it come about? I did a little bit in the early 90s. I worked for the singing kettle. Remember the singing right. kettle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went and seen them live. Did you? Um, and I kind of did a few shows with them and, and then through that, I, I worked at a theatre in St Andrews and got a few parts in that. And then I kind of stopped acting for a while. And then it wasn't until Chewing the Fat started and uh, my pal was Karen Dunbar. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she, was, she got in Chewing the Fat and when she was doing it, I was kind of like, what's, what's she doing, you know? And then it came on. And the first series was a kind of small hit, you know, it wasn't yeah. two when they started the Gone In Odera stuff that it really took off. <laughs> so they uh, they wanted to do a live version in the Citizens Theatre and, and they needed a, a piano player. So Karen suggested me. So I went in and played piano for them in the, the last sketch of the live show when they sung His Majesty's Home for the Blind and <laughs> I made those a burglar and all that. 
and uh, they made me wear a dress for some reason to be an old woman. So I was like Isa, like the first right. Isa. <laughs> and uh, so I mean, it was just after that. I mean, I got on really well with Ford and Greg and Karen and, and Paul and Mark, and uh, they just said, "Come and be in the TV version as well." So who? Sometimes we need a seventh person or a sixth person. Yeah. So I used to go in and do a couple of days a week on Chew the Fat. Um, and then through that, I got in tow with Jonathan Watson and Philip Duffer, who yeah. they were um, And I actually worked more with them than anybody else because uh, I did a, a radio series with Johnny for seven, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Like a kind of radio version of Only an Excuse, but it had politics and showbiz in it as well. Yeah. So in front of a live audience every week. That was a great training for me. Um, just learning from Jonathan Watson, because he's great, he's a genius. And Philip Differ. And, and I was just surrounded by good people that were funny and that were good at what they did. And, and yeah. it, it rubbed off on me. And sort of through that, I got an agent and I got, I got a couple of really big theatre parts and it just grew and grew until I got River City. And then that was the real, um, that was the real kind of, or else, else him off the telly. Because before then it was like that, I know your face was somewhere, but then it was like, <laughs> it's Big Bob. <laughs> then I suddenly became Big Bob. See, see you in the fat, see you in the fat. What were some of the favourite sketches that you were involved in? I'll probably ask you this for every show you've been in, but you in the fat, what was the one? There's one that sticks out to me, but it's not like it's... Right, the first one that I filmed, it was my first day on set with them. Fenty Tin. Yeah. The, the 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 quick fit advert. Yeah. I'm not and I could not keep it together at the because <laughs> Ford makes stuff up. So I mean I'm standing there <laughs> angry and he's going, I've got a big beat this way, running down the crack of my ass. And you can't not back <laughs> up. And um, what else was there that I was in tune with that? God, you probably know more than me. One with the the one Finn Finty Tin always sticks out to me. Remember the one where the the rookie cops and is it the swap over? And you're the one you're wanting behind the, the bakery. Oh, my acting's terrible on that though. I'm it's like, brilliant. It's just oh, a brilliant. Man. No, I'm doing this terrible American accent. <laughs> oh, I can't watch that. Don't watch that. Uh, what what other ones in tune of that was there was a take a drink. I was in that. Yeah. Um uh, there was that the Elvis does Brigadoon. I can't really, really remember. I need to watch them again. See, and that's the thing, it was like there was so much of it going on that, that I, it's like a day in the office 20 years ago, you're going, what was that? Yeah. Um, Do you never watch your old stuff back? Like, Do you never watch old? I, I, I mean, oh, I'm not going to say, oh, I never watch myself because I never believe anybody when they say that. <laughs> uh, I do, I, um, and they're showing the old online excuses just now. Yeah. And there's stuff in that I just don't remember at all. Mm-hmm. There's one I want um, to touch on that, with you that, was, that come up earlier. I think I know the one you mean. Pump yeah. two. Yeah. I know. Um, I I don't remember doing that, but it, because it was just so much of it at the time. And a lot of the time, only an excuse, I didn't understand it because I don't know about football. Right, okay. So they had to explain to me what the guy was and, and who Frank McAvenny was and stuff like <laughs> that and, and uh, why that was funny. Um, yeah, that, that I, I mean, that came on a couple of weeks ago and I, I only knew it was coming on because Twitter started tagging me and saying pump two. Yeah. What? What? And then I kind of asked somebody and they said, oh, my excuse was on tonight and you were in a sketch. And I watched the whole thing and I was only in at the end and it was like pump two. And I went, oh, two words in it and it's caused a storm again. So, but, see, but see during that, see, see when you're doing that sketch, with, obviously Jonathan's a legend and brilliant at what he does, but see, are you, are you into the, do you think, oh, that's Jonathan Watson dressed up or is that, Frank McAvenny is that Graham Sooners, whoever it may be. Like, do you? It's Johnny. It's Johnny dressed up. Is it? Is that how you think of it at the time? Like, aye, 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 aye. Because he's like, he's not like that when the camera's not rolling. You know, it's funny. Right. So it's just, no, you know, he's acting. No, it's not like <laughs> he's cutting about dressed, doing Dennis Law all day at lunchtime. And <laughs> um, no, he's, uh, he's, he's just great. He's, 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 a, he's a Scottish, he's a national treasure. What's your favourite impressions he does? Um, oh man, he used to do, there used to be a report on, on report in Scotland, I can't remember his name, but he used to talk like that. 
everything he said started like that, and then it finished like that. And it used to crack me up every time. <laughs> I my face straight. I can't remember the name of the guy. Wasn't it Bob Wiley, was it? It was Bob Wiley. Bob Wiley. Scotland. Yeah. Yes, that was it. That, that, I loved that one. And he used to do this <laughs> other character that he just made up that was just a kind of chatty Glasgow mammy. Um, and just, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't get through a sketch with him without laughing. Um, but he's really professional and really thorough and quite disciplined. So I learned a lot from Johnny. I learned a lot about how to look at a script and how to, to kind of, how to act better. Yeah. <laughs> do you know see what I mean? Yeah, see when, you're doing, see when you're doing it in radio as well, do you feel more comfortable with the fact you don't have a TV camera in front of you? Aye. Yeah. You whatever you want. Dating your pants, nobody would know. Um, yeah. No, I, I the telly's, I, I mean, I love doing the telly, but it is really, really, uh, every time you, every sh if you watch like, a minute of River City, that takes about two hours to film. Yeah. Because uh, they've got different shots, different angles. They have to keep changing your hair and making sure your face is all right and uh, footed with your coat. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of footing goes on <laughs> uh, making telly. People, you know, 30 people footed in with things. Um, but I, you get used to that really quickly. And yeah, I, yeah. I really like it. I really like doing film and telly because it's, I, I got good at sitting doing nothing. <laughs> I'm quite that's maybe why I've been alright this past year because I've just been sitting it's as if I've been sitting waiting to get called on to set I'm in my trailer and it's a house Brilliant We need to talk about still game Martin with the okay. snowballs just did you know when you'd done that that no. scene that that would turn out to be what it has? No um, and I'll tell you for why I, I don't think I might be wrong about this, but I don't think the first series had gone out yet when we filmed that. Right, okay. I think, I think that they filmed the first series and then started on the second series before the first one went out. I might be wrong, but I didn't even really know what they were doing. I knew the characters because they'd been in Chewing the Fat. Did you, think, did you think, even I'm asking you, you know, but see when they, did you know they were the characters that would do the spin-off? Or was there like any other characters you thought from well, Chewing We all thought Ronald Villiers would be the spin-off. Yeah. Um, and then like, Ricky Gervais ended up doing that with extras. It was, it was yeah. Uh, we all thought Ronald Villiers, or we all thought um, the painter and decorators, Bish and Bosch. Right. Nobody was really expecting Jack and Victor as the spin off. And that's what was kind of surprising about it because it worked so well. And uh, that's the genius of the boys. That's the genius of Ford and Greg. They, they saw what could, what could happen with it. Mm -hmm. And um, so for that, that. Uh, scene with the with the snowballs and the fucking empire biscuits, uh, <laughs> which have followed me for twenty years. Uh, I just got called in to do a day's filming. Well, a morning's filming because I was kind of signed to the comedy unit at the time. So yeah. you just, if they needed an actor for anything, they just phoned me and mm -hmm. I went in. And that morning, it was the first scene that morning. So it was at eight o'clock in the morning, and. Uh, over in Mary Hill, and I got there, got dressed up like the guy, did the scene, and went back home and went to my bed and fell asleep again and forgot I'd done it. Right. And then uh, I hadn't, I don't think I saw it when it came on. I forgot, I, I forgot, I genuinely forgot I'd done it. <laughs> and then I was in Brayhead in HMV, and somebody shouted, Maybe if you have a jobby, Martin, you're mocking out your ass, you, Martin, at me. And I just kind of went, I beg your pardon. What? Maybe if you video and I went, I heard you, but what what are you talking about? My name's not Martin. He went, still game. And I went, oh, all right. <laughs> but then it started getting shouted at me 20, 30 times a week. <laughs> and I was does like, it, does it still happen? Aye. Happens. I mean, it's not happening just now because of lockdown, which yeah. is one of one of the few blessings, but uh, <laughs> It happens about two or three times a week, somebody will shout it at me and they always think they're the first person to shout it. <laughs> I always go, oh. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, I, I, I love the fact that, that, that I got to do that because uh, even just popping up in still game for two minutes, just it's, yeah, it's more, sure. yeah. people are watching that in a hundred years. Yeah. Um, and, and it just was, 
uh, it's funny. I mean, they're, they're funny, funny, funny guys. And uh, I, I didn't really understand the scene at the time. Right. Um, I just said it and did it, and Ford was kind of telling me exactly how to do it. Because I was going, why is he? Why is he wanting? You know, why is he losing his temper? And he went, just, just do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I would be angry if I was if I was given a, an empire biscuit and I was expecting a snowball. Definitely. See, obviously, no, like, nah, definitely not. See, off screen though, what's the banner like? Is the banner just as good off screen? Oh, but it's it's wild. It's you know, it's uh, the wind up merchants, you know. So uh, and and the, they all on chewing the fat and instill game. You know how in, on TV shows there's trailers. Yeah, it's like it's like, like caravan Well, and still gaming, chewing the fat and stuff. It was just one big giant one for everybody. Right. Nobody demanded their own trailer or anything. So it just was like, I mean, it was like wind up city. I mean, they kidded Mark Cox on for a whole series that there was a James Bond film called "To Whom It May Concern." Because <laughs> somebody had mentioned it to him one day, and he went, "Oh, I remember that." And he went, Coxie thinks there was a James Bond film called To Whom It May Concern. So they dropped it into the conversation every few days. And they would mention, no, oh, I thought To Whom It May Concern was better than Live and Let Die and blah, blah, blah. And then Coxie would kind of go, was it Sean that was in that one? Uh -huh. They even wrote a theme tune, To Whom It May Concern. And, been, and didn't tell him until the last day, the rap party didn't tell him. That they'd made it up, and then there was it was just all sorts of wind ups going on. I mean, it was you you had to you had a bit of thick skin with them, but it was all good. It was funny. I mean, they're, they're genuine. I mean, they are genuinely funny people. Very, very, very funny people. And did they bring the crew in as well? Like, did they make, bring the crew? Aye, in? Aye I mean, the crew. They're, 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 they're generous people. They're um, they, they, they would they would be kind to the the supporting artists, the extras, they would just be, it was a good atmosphere. And the, the crew have stayed the same. So it's the same yeah. crew and the same makeup and same wardrobe that were in Chewing the Fat that now still work with them when they do stuff. So it's like a reunite, a reunion. Uh, it's like a reunion, a reunion, a reunion every time we work together. Because now I'm now their music guy, so any anytime they need music for anything, they, they give me a shout. And so. would you write some of the songs? Like, see the the barbershop songs as well. Was like, were you involved? In uh, no, I didn't. But I, I wrote all the music for all the live shows. So right. uh, the, the three at the high three yeah. shows at the Hydro, I did all the music for all of them. Um, for the last one, which had tons of songs in it, I kind of co-wrote with Ford and Greg. So yeah. Um, the three of us wrote all of them together, and then I produced all the music for it. So. Uh, that was the kind of last big job I did before this all happened. Brilliant. Karen Dunbar had her own sketch, sketch show as well, and you were prominent in that. What was your favourite memories for doing that? I can. Um, uh, I've got to say almost angelic. It's, a bit, it's, a, it's one of my favourite. We and my pal absolutely love it. It's one of the best things ever. You know, what would happen would be a song would get in the charts and I would phone her and go, Karen, listen to it's getting hot in here. <laughs> and tell me that Almost Angelic won't be brilliant at it and she'd listen to it and they'd go, oh my God, it's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. I'm all getting so hot, I want to take my clothes off. And we just did, I mean, we just, the two has just had an absolute riot with that. We, 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 how many did we do? We did four series of that. So there was six in each series and then the last series was four episodes. It was about 22 uh, sketches of Almost Angelic. And I've not seen them all because the, a couple of the series are lost in the mists of time, but BBC Scotland have started repeating them. So they might they might turn up, but we did things like Ghost Town by the Specials <laughs> and uh, The Darkness, I believe in a thing called Love. And it just, that, that was the funniest. And it was always in front of an audience. There was always a, there was always a big, you know, 30 or 40 extras in for the Almost Angelics. And, and then there was one we did on the Clyde on a boat, Super Trooper, and I was vomiting. And, and <laughs> every episode, you would look forward to, I mean, as, as somebody watching the show, you would look forward to the Almost Angelic sketch at the end, because yeah. at the end of every show, yeah. what song they're going to, Who Let the Dogs Out is the classic. Who let the dogs out? And he goes, woof, 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 woof. <laughs> um, and do you know what? There, there was talk about us doing a series with them. There was talk about us doing a spin-off series with them, but it never materialised. I don't know what happened. 
Uh, I don't know if anybody wrote a script for it or whatever, but um, it didn't happen. I think there was a big problem back then with getting song rights for stuff. Right. It's easier now, but it used to be it used to be really difficult to get clearance for songs to do. So we had to, yeah. every time with an idea for a sketch, they had to put it through this music publisher and sometimes they would say no. Um, I think I think we did the Crazy Frog once and it got knocked back. We couldn't do that. And there was another thing and it just, but that that was that was the highlight of them for me. But also, you know, working with Karen, she's, yeah. she's very, very funny as well. So it was, mm. it was hanging about with your pal. Yeah. And do you still keep in touch with Karen, yeah? Aye, aye. I've not seen her for a while because I've not seen Emily for a while. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've not heard for in a few months. But uh, I don't really know what she's up to. And see, like see, like some of the other characters as well. Obviously, they've popped up and still gaming through the fire. But who are some of the kind of ones that, that don't get a lot of credit that are really, really good? And the Karen Dunbar show, or June yeah, but both like, Karen Dunbar and Tune the Fire. Yeah. Like. I always loved Karen. Did this character called Shoeless Josie who was a girl that was up the town in Glasgow steaming, walking home, eating chips and cheese, trying to get a taxi. And it was the same stretch of road for every sketch. And she just stumbled around the corner with chips and cheese and just shouted abuse at folk. And it creased me up because she was just so bang on for, for somebody she would up the town and lost their phone and lost their money and couldn't get a taxi. And it, these these things that she did, um, where it was just observational, character-driven things that that Karen did, I loved, and I loved. You know, she played that kind of old woman cleaner, and, and I always thought that's her strength. You know, doing mm -hmm. these weird characters, even if they're not involved in a story or a sketch or something, just just yipping. Uh, she played a cruel woman that worked in a chippy, um, and. Of course, oh, but tune the fact you've got to talk about the school teacher that she did. Yeah. You can ask a question of that Kenneth when you bring a decent bag to school. <laughs> Genius, absolutely. Was that not based on our, on our own school teacher? I think, I mean, all these people are based on sort of real people. I think it was based on, it might have been based on a real teacher. I don't know. Don't want to say in case she's did. <laughs> um, but I think it was based on 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 they're all they're all based on real people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and see obviously as well. See some of the like the cast that went into Karen the Bar were obviously still featuring the fact was it, was there a really good core as well? Like, did you just all keep close with one another? Um, well, uh, it was a different cast in the Karen the Bar show than it wasn't during the fact. So it was me right. and Karen were the only ones from Chewing the Fat. Oh, right, okay. the Bar show and Gabriel Quigley as well had been in Chewing the Fat. So it was the three of us, and then the cast changed after the first series, and we right. brought in James Young and Sandy Welsh um, and Leah McRae. It was right. Leah McRae's first acting job, and she was 19, and I had been working in a nightclub where, so I knew her. Right. Um, and uh, she was just a revelation. She came in in series three, I think, and uh, she's now a big star. She's now mm -hmm. doing her own big stand-up comedy tours yeah. and she's in River City, and... Um, she just was a. She kind of injected a bit of youth into it because we were. I think we were more thirties. She was nineteen, and and James was young. James was about nineteen as well. So we brought a couple of kids in, and uh, uh, so yeah, no, we all we all were we, we, we had a laugh. It was a joy going to work every day. It was good. And see that obviously you're obviously you're in the television like that. What's it like for you getting recognised? Was there any kind of bad experiences you would have, or was it all was it mostly um, all good? No, the only time it ever got bad for me was when I was really, really, really fat, right? And uh, really struggled to walk and stuff. So uh, when I when I was just after I left River City, when I was a big giant guy, yeah, uh, and I was struggling to get about, if somebody would stop me, and want a conversation and stuff it was it was physically a struggle for me and I remember being I'd been playing in a piano bar in town and uh, it was really hard to get a taxi and and I had, I had really bad back problems and walking problems and breathing problems and all that and I had been trying to get a taxi for ages and eventually I saw one and I flagged it down and it pulled over and a hen knight came running up going oh my god it's big bob it's big bob can we get a photo and I went I've just managed to get this taxi after an hour of trying to get one. Mm -hmm. Ah, come on, don't be such a thing. And uh, I went, okay, okay. And then the taxi went, I can't wait and drove off. And I went, I've lost my taxi. And they went, you're a snobby bastard and thinking you're a superstar and all that. And they went away and I was just left devastated with that. You know, it was, that's the only time, the other, the other only time was, 
<laughs> I was in hospital, right? I was in hospital while I was in River City. I had a kidney stone. You ever had a kidney stone? No. Have you ever had a kidney stone? Oh, man, no. that's an adventure. So I was in hospital and they didn't really know it was a kidney stone yet. I was still to get the scan and stuff. So I was in agony and they gave me loads of morphine and stuff. It was nice. And uh, I was asleep and I woke up in the hospital bed and there was a family gathered around my pillow like that, posing for a photograph with me unconscious. Really? Aye, because it was the daughter's big bob out of River City. Let's get a selfie with him, posing for a photo while I was... And I woke up during it and went, get tape. <laughs> Thank you. And I said, bust down. I'm like, no, I've got a kidney stone coming out my knob. <laughs> me. So, uh, no, that's the only to Everybody else is brilliant. I mean, Glasgow, Scotland, you, you, you can't get away with anything. So, um, mm-hmm. if you were shite, they'd tell you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and for the most part, I get, I just get people saying they love Martin and the snowballs and the Empire Biscuits. And I'm happy with that, mate. That's. That's good enough for me, you know. Brilliant. We'll move on to River City as well. See, like, obviously, changing for comedy into like, drama. How did you find that? Uh, well, I wasn't uh, aware of... There was a few things I was doing when I first went into River City that I didn't realise I did until I watched some of the episodes and then I changed up. But right. And I think that happens with a lot of people. They don't realise. So I, I didn't realise that I did this all the time on screen. <laughs> so I was like, I'm fed up watching Big Bob going, I need to stop doing that. Um, but it kind of was comedy because I was working with uh, Sally Howe that plays Scarlett yeah. and John McLean that played Molly. You were brilliant, mate. Incredible yeah. comedy actresses, right? Um, and and, the, and I, I just was like, every day was, it was actually funnier mm-hmm. doing River City than it was doing any of the comedy stuff. It was funnier because Sally Howe that plays Scarlett is hysterical. Um, and Una McLean that played Molly, the funniest, most mischievous <laughs> laugh I've ever had in my life was with that woman. Um, she just was hysterical and kind and funny and full of stories. Johnny Beatty was full of stories. Yeah. They had all the old stories about the, the 1950s Glasgow theatre scene and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was it was it was brilliant working with them really really brilliant that was the best thing about it the best thing about river city was the people the cast who who else was really good to work with uh claire that played iona and uh, magdalena that played tatiana and oh man stephen pardon that plays shell suit bob brilliant isn't he? beautiful wee guy an absolute gem of a wee guy and a great actor you never saw a script in his hand he knows all his lines you know, whereas I had like an iPhone and like scripts hidden everywhere and things shoved under couches and in drawers, he knows all his, knows his stuff. Uh, who else was my pals on it? I, we're all, I made loads of pals on it. And if I start listing them, I'm going to miss somebody out and I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> um, can it, it tends to be the people you're working with. So it tends to be the people that's in your family. Yeah. Um, I'm good mates with Paul Corrigan and Kira Lucchese that were in it at the same time as me. And um, Libby MacArthur and Deirdre Davis that were in it, they, they, were, they were good pals, they've stayed good pals. They've all, a lot of us stay in touch. Um, yeah. You make good pals out there. Because yeah. you're, you're, you're together tw- for 12 hours a day. Yeah, definitely. You get to know everything about each other. Mm-hmm. See the storyline there, they were, they were sending you to camp, like the, the camp. Was that tough for you in real life, like doing that? Yeah. Um, it was, that was tough because... Uh, at that time, I wasn't doing well. My mum had just died, and uh, it was the beginning of real depression for me and anxiety. Yeah. It was the first time I'd really encountered that kind of stuff. So I'd had the whole summer, because they don't film during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the whole summer kind of getting not well and putting more and more weight on, because uh, my kind of uh, solution was to just eat uh, like Big Bob did. Um, so when they they were writing them out um, and it was the right decision for, for them and, and for me uh, because it was physically, it was becoming impossible for me to do the job because yeah. I was so physically exhausted and, and mm-hmm. sore. And, and so they kind of, um, they decided to give them a happy end and then send them to fat camp, for want of a better word, to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, yeah, I... 
can can I talk to you about how you're going to do it? Because my uh, the thing that used to piss me off about TV drama was that uh, fat people were always laughed at or vilified or um, you know they Heather and EastEnders they always had a running everywhere and they always yeah. had cheese and crisps and she was called Heather Trot and it, it just was a fat caricature. All it was missing was a tuba player, you know. I really want to kind of do a, an, a, an addiction story, a food addiction storyline or an, an obesity storyline that's real. Yeah. And, um, that isn't a, a comedy thing. So they really went for it. And um, the writer won a Writer's Guild Award for the script. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, and she and I were in contact while she was writing it, which never happens. The, the, the actors never speak to the writers, but this, right. was a, uh, this was an exception. And so it, it was handled really well. But the, the thing that happened was that he had a happy ending mm -hmm. and he got sent, he, everybody came round to the idea of him getting better and they get sent off to get better. But I came home and just, I didn't get better. I descended into uh, real depression and put on even more weight. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was nice to it was nice to see the happiness happen for Bob, but it was terrifying that it wasn't happening for me. Yeah, and what was that kind of time of, time of life like for you? It was um, it was it was dark. It was a little bit like it was a little bit like this, except right. with this, my head's okay, mm -hmm. um, and I'm physically okay. You know, yeah. back then. I had the door locked and I was isolating and, and all I did was um, drink tons and tons of fizzy juice and, and eat pizzas and real real undiagnosed clinical depression, mm -hmm. um, which became diagnosed, which was the, the best thing that happened. I, I yeah. eventually got uh, help for it and realized that the, all, most of my physical problems were caused by my, my head. And uh, that was the start of me getting better and kind of emerging out of the shadows. But it was a probably, I would say about, after I left River City, I would say there was a, a nine, 10 month period of uh, of really touch and go stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, really dark, dark suicidal thoughts. Um, and uh, loads, you know, I, I mean, nothing's a coincidence. You know, that these people get put in your path and things happen and uh, chances come up. And I just had, I just had uh, a series of people that arrived in my life or, and, and uh, opportunities that, that, that pulled me out of it. And, mm -hmm. and a great GP, uh, a great health centre actually that, that, um, that got my story and never once gave me a row about yeah. overweight. They always just said, look, let's try and sort this out. Um, and that really was the start of the kind of uh, re-emergence of uh, and reinvention of becoming a different guy. And what, like, obviously, how, how much weight did you actually lose? I lost 19 stone. Wow. Uh, I think I've put about three back on <laughs> over, the, over the past like year and a bit, but I, who hasn't? Um, but it was a it was basically a colossal amount of weight, and uh, it was like um, getting the keys to Disneyland mm -hmm. because suddenly I could walk, I could run, I could get up and down the stairs. Uh, I got addicted to walking, which is what I really miss. I really miss. I did the kilt walk. I did three kilt walks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and it just became like it's going to be like what we all feel when this yeah fuckishness is over and we <laughs> can get out and get free again. It felt like that. It felt like a, a rebirth. Mm -hmm. um, and a, and then to go back to River City, having lost it all. Yeah. And, and that was a uh, that kind of didn't work out because um one of the cast members took ill just before uh the episode so it had to be hastily rewritten so i really was only in it for two minutes what was the storyline again what was the, what was the reason you went back storyline wise somebody was ex my sister had got blown up in a porter cabin right. and i went back to the funeral right that's so i was like right so every time they kill somebody because i think i'd been back for another funeral i can't remember 
Um, but they got me back for this funeral, but the, the storyline had had to be changed because somebody took ill. So they had to cut most of my scenes. So all that happened then was I got out of a van, had a scene with wee Madonna, said hello to Stevie and Shell Suit Bob, and then got back in the van and went away. But <laughs> it was they went, oh, you've lost loads of weight. I went, aye, and then went away. That's kind of shite end to the story, but at least we did it, you know. And do you think there could be an opportunity for you to go back to that at some point down the line? Um, probably. I mean, it's not up to me. It's never up yeah. to the actor. It's always up to the writers and the producers. So it just depends on where they're going with it. If they, if they thought it was if they thought it would fit and if there was a story that they thought would work, then I'm sure they would give me a shot. I'm still in good terms with them. Never fell mm. out with them. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I mean, they know where I am, but I mean, at the same time, I, I really, really am a musician these days. And mm -hmm. uh, so if, if it doesn't happen, then that's fine. Yeah. But, uh, how, how important, how important is music to you? It's, well, it's the air that I breathe. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like, um, I couldn't do without it. It's my, it's my drug. Um, and I, the, the, there's no, you know, I use it now. I use it as a as, as medication, really. Mm -hmm. uh, I use music to uh, the, the way everybody uses music. You know, you put on a happy album to get in a good mood and chilled out stuff. And uh, but music was always my thing, and I always felt like a bit of a fraud acting. I always felt as I'm taking up in a proper actor's job. Um, I, I should be in, I should be doing the music for this. <laughs> but then, I mean, last year I got great, uh, no, last year, I got two years ago, because we've, we've skipped a year. Mm -hmm. I got great acting jobs. I got um, I got Elizabeth is Missing with Glenda Jackson, and I got Guilt on the BBC, and they were they were fantastic. And, of course, they're train spotting too. Yeah, I was just about to touch on that, yeah. What was, that was, what was the reaction? What did you first think when you, that was your role, the, the role you were going to play? Okay, well, I didn't really know. I, I had auditioned for the role of Begbie's cellmate, who's the guy right. that stabbed me. Um, and then they had phoned my agent back and said, look, would, would, would he do a, a different scene? He'd be more suited for this other part. And uh, I just went, aye, transporting. So I uh, turned up to, to the set and, and I'd seen the script and, and it was kind of like um, two lines. I thought, I don't even care if it's just two lines, it's Trainspot, it's a film, brilliant. And it's Danny Boyle. Yeah. Um, and the, the, if I'd got the other part, it would have been a scene in a prison cell with Robert Carlyle, but this scene was with Ewan McGregor and yeah. uh, Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah. So, so, but when I got there, Danny Boyle, um, the director, who I think's a legend, mm -hmm. was the friendliest person I've ever met. It was nice to everybody. There was 200 extras there that day. He got to know everybody's name. He, he was lovely to everybody. He just was a great, lovely, lovely man. And he gave me loads of business. He said, right, so this scene, you've got the two lines at the door, but then the camera follows you throughout this whole scene as you make your journey towards. So the point of view, the camera going down is, is the bouncer, you know, getting into this. It just they, they, when I walked in and I saw that, because I, I don't, I don't have any religious affiliations. I don't support. Yeah. I support something, man. <laughs> but I don't have any kind of Catholic Protestant thing. Yeah. I was never brought up as anything. Mm -hmm. So I don't really get that world. I don't really understand. It. I'm not against it. I'm not against any whatever anybody wants to believe. Totally yeah. fine. Um, and I got there and I saw all the stuff and I went. Pfft, this is the kind of thing that might get me into trouble. <laughs> what was going on here? And then um, the extras were all, a lot of them were from that world. So mm -hmm. I had, they'd put movie tattoos on me. They'd 1690 in my neck and they'd King Billy and Red Hand of Ulster. And so I had guys come up going, oh, right, mate, the big man, oh, yeah, I didn't know you were one of us. And I'm going, I, I not, really don't know what any of this means. Um, so I, we filmed it, and I mean, oh God, it was just—it was just a riot. You can see it in the film. You can see how much fun it was, <laughs> and it was—it was four days of that. You know, it was—it was—it was a long. It was two days in that club, and then I had reshoots to do. But uh, when it came out, I didn't know if I was going to be in it because I knew that they'd filmed about an hour and a half of extra stuff. Yeah, and we'd had to sit 
we had to, had to sign a thing saying we weren't in it. Right. Uh, not, not, not we weren't in it, but we had to sign a thing saying that we couldn't tell them that we were in it. Right, so okay. Nobody knew I was in it apart from, oh, I told my pals. Mm-hmm. So see, like, when you were on t- Trainspot and how, like, did you have any interaction with Ewan McGregor like, off screen? Yeah, yeah, I hung out with Ewan McGregor and Johnny Lee Miller for two days. Nice. Um, we had, because we, we had, uh, me and the two of them had a kind of the bar downstairs to relax in between takes. Yeah. So I, yeah, I know, I hung out with them for two days. Pretty light, brilliant. Very focused and quiet, um, but nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't sit and have a hoot and a holler with them. I just sat with my iPod in, but uh, no, they were lovely. They were, they were gentlemen. Brilliant. What's the, see, after lockdown, like, what's, the, what's your plans? Have, have you thought kind of far ahead about what you, what you kind of want to do after this is all over? No. Nah. No. Nah. Don't know. No clue whatsoever. Um, music mainly. I mean, that's what, that's what I love doing most. So uh, any kind of opportunities I can get with that, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But, but really, I, I can't think because... I can't make any plans. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody that does live performance or anything like that can make any plans at the moment because it mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Yeah. Definitely. So I think once I've had the vaccine, I mean, I will happily go out and do another job. I'll happily go out and, and help the NHS or, or deliver stuff or, or anything at all, you know, just to survive. Uh, but at the moment, I can't, I can't think beyond this, Scott, I can't start thinking about the summer and stuff because it gets overwhelming and I, yeah. and I, I need to keep a, a lid on uh, emotions and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. I really need to keep a close eye on myself yeah. and if I start worrying about all that, I'll just get in a state. So there's no point. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Not Let's a clue. See, <laughs> see like, uh, like any other kind of subjects regarding mental health that you feel like should be discussed more? Like, is there anything like well, I've been doing. Well, I've been doing a podcast. I've been doing a podcast called Swim for Land, right? Um, on mental health, and and I've just put episode eleven out, and then episode twelve next week is the last one because uh, right. I can't whatever because it's it's it's, a, it's draining. Um, I, I want to just do daft stuff at the moment. Just, but this has been we've been talking quite heavily about stuff. Uh, this week's episode is about suicide, right? And it's it's kind of a thing that people. <sighs> It's so hard for folk to talk about it. And I got this woman on who was incredible as my guest and she's called uh, Sarah and, and her son committed suicide a year and a half ago. Right. And she came on my episode this week and spoke so bravely and so kind of, uh, I want to say positively, but she she's, she's active with the Samaritans now and she's mm-hmm. active in raising awareness about suicide and getting the message across to anyone with suicidal thoughts that there is a way out and that you just need to reach out to somebody um, and that your your mind plays tricks on you. So if, yeah. you're, if you've got depression or something and suicidal thoughts, your mind can flip over to make it an absolute reality yeah. that you think the world will be a better place without you and that the only choice you've got is to kill yourself. So her message is to try and say to to people that are thinking about it, reach out and talk to somebody because they will, by discussing it with somebody, they will, your brain will settle back into reality rather than the the terror that 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 goes that chaotically whirls about in your head when you're having these suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I always likened it to like if you were in a house that was on fire, and the only way to not get burnt was to jump out the window. So do you stay in the room or do you jump out the window? That's the only choices you've got. There doesn't seem to be an escape ladder, mm-hmm. but there is one for everybody that's that's having suicidal thoughts. There is an escape ladder and it is through asking for help. And her message is to get people to ask for help because mm-hmm. uh, the help is there. And I had, a, I had somebody from the Scottish government on, I had a, a doctor from the Scottish government on and, and I did ask him all the questions. I said, look, what do people do? Because, uh, is the resources there? What number do we phone? Where, where do we go? And, and he did. He, he said, yeah, we've got all this new stuff set up and there's more stuff coming and it's going to be okay and we're aware of it because I, I was like, God, you know, there's going to be a lot of problems coming out of this. When we do get out of the lockdown, there's going to be mental problems. There's going to be domestic abuse stuff. There's going to be child abuse stuff. There's going to be 
um, kids, teenagers stuck in the house with parents. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of challenges and, and, and uh, I, I kind of wanted to do this podcast series to get answers and to get people talking. And this episode, the suicide one, I didn't know how to do it. I, mm -hmm. I had no idea how to, I broached brought the subject, but I heard Sarah on Radio Scotland talking about it and I went, well, there's somebody that's doing what I'm, I need somebody to do. Yeah. So she, brilliantly, she came on and, and have, have a watch of it. Yeah, that's one for the land episode of um, and she's just an inspiration. Uh, just been through the worst thing that you can possibly imagine, yeah. losing a child, and yeah. she's now working to help. To me, in her words, uh, she said uh, that our son's funeral, Gordon's funeral, there was six hundred people in the church and two hundred people outside, and every single one of them would have done anything to help Gordon. Yeah, but he, his brain won't have told him that. Mm. His brain will have said, "I'm, I'm on my own." So she said, if if she can if she can stop any other mother having to go through what she went through, she's gonna bite tooth and nail to do it. And it was incredible, just just stunning. So uh, that I mean, there's, the, you're hearing every couple of weeks about somebody dying, and it's never quite explained what happened. And there's kind of people's opinions about what's going on. I think I think the suicide rate is maybe um, higher than we think, mm -hmm. and. Uh, if, if the answer, I'm not saying it's the answer for everybody, but if the answer to being in that place is to ask for help, then we need to yell about that and we need to we need to shout about where they can get help. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. And we always close the show by saying how anybody that's under, that's feeling that they need to talk to someone, then SM Media's DMs are always open. I'm sure everybody will agree that this is a time where we all need to pull together. Tom, it's been an absolute privilege yeah. to talk to you. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been brilliant. You, if then. Greg Hempel's ever looking for a son, if, if Greg Hempel's ever looking for somebody to play his son, <laughs> nobody ever said that to you? No, never. Nobody ever said that you. You, the guy that, you look like the guy in Future Islands as well that looks like Greg. You're like, oh, can't we look at Greg about you? No, I've never no. noticed it. No, okay. I've never said it. But a young, a young that's, a, Greg. that's a massive compliment. To, I'm a young Victor McDade. <laughs> Back after, that's a Brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure, Tom. Thanks very much and all the best for the future. Thanks, Tom. Cheers. All right, cheers